Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and um, it's good to be um, back. Well, we're here, we've been here for like the past two weeks, but now that um, we are now in a situation where um, the lockdown um, has been lifted, although there's still some level of kind of restrictions, and um, um, on the line we have um, for your presenters today, we have myself, Jacob. And me, Zane. Hello, so um, I like just before we get into some news items, I was wanting to kind of cover for this week. Um, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the Wandry Land of the Kulin Nation. We like to acknowledge that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land, and that sovereignty was never ceded. So. For this, um, for our program um, this week, um, we're going to actually going to be doing um, with every with the recent sort of election presidential elections that are happening in Peru. We're going to be actually hearing from someone from the Peruvian community um, based in Sydney who has kind of organised a number of kind of solidarity rallies, and then we're also going to be playing some pre-recordings of a talk that was um, of some talks um, from a forum that was organised by Green Left and Socialist Alliance. Um, why Israel is an apartheid state. So we have we, that forum had a number of special international kind of guest speakers, including someone direct from Gaza, who I'll be introducing his um, talk shortly, which we'll be playing for uh, the program. Um, but, for, but for now, I want to sort of cover, I guess, a few kind of quick kind of news updates. And maybe, Zane, did you want to start off with that MUA kind of um, story that you wanted to mention? Yeah, so the uh, New South Wales branch of the MUA has had a traditionally, in recent years, a pretty good position around climate politics. Uh, they walked off the job because they have M- uh, EBA negotiations during that big climate strike in 2019. And so there was a bunch of MUA workers from Port Botany and High Vis went to the climate strike. Uh, that same um, year, around the time of that big climate strike, an MUA uh, member had an opinion piece published in the Daily Ter- Telegraph uh, talking about how he, this guy was a fossil fuel worker, talking about the importance of you know a transition plan to move away from fossil fuels. Um, and more recently, the MUA, all three um, New South Wales branches of the MUA have come out and said that they will fight coal seam gas in Narrabri with, quote, everything they've got. So that's really uh, important, especially given that those workers will be handling um, the gas exports that would come from that uh, fracking field if it's developed. Um, They've got a video on their Facebook in support of the most recent climate strike on May 21, and just in the last 24 hours, they've put up a media release 
there was an Extinction Rebellion action targeting a fuel import terminal in Sydney, and the MUA have come out and uh, have said that they support Extinction Rebellion blockading that, and that there needs to be a a transition plan put in place uh, because the world is moving away from fossil fuels and we need to do that in a worker-friendly way. So, uh, yeah, once again, the, this is not kind of like a one-off flash-in-the-pan kind of thing. This is really becoming an entrenched uh, pattern from the MUA in Sydney of having really good climate politics and uh, shout-out to them. Uh, it would be great to see more unions, especially unions covering fossil fuel workers, taking a very clear stance in support of a worker-friendly transition away from fossil fuels. And the MUA in Sydney are really leading the way in this regard. So, yeah, good on them. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, um, a very, I guess, a very kind of po- a very positive development um, on part of the union movement. And I definitely agree. We can hope that it inspires um, other trade unions um, to speak out as well in support of strong climate action and also just transition um, for workers. Now, the next story, um, just want to give a bit of an update on, and this is, a guys, a bit of an update for the refugee rights campaign, but many of our listeners have probably been following um, the whole um, case of the family, um, the Sri Lankan family who um, was based in Biloela until um, they were forcibly transferred by the government to Christmas Island. Now, there's been a bit of a, an update on um, recent development in the past week. Basically, um, Fanica. Um, um, from Bilawea, who is um, the, um, the daughter of um, within this family, has been medically evacuated to Perth with her mother Priya after being hospitalised on Christmas Island with a suspected blood infection. And to tell you a bit about um, her condition, um, just re- reading from the Refugee Action Collective um, media release, um, she has been unwell with vomiting, diarrhoea and dizziness for 10 days with temperatures sometimes ex- exceeding 40 degrees. And quite disgracefully, the detention staff within Christmas Island refused to take Fanica to the hospital until last um, Sunday, despite repeated requests from her, um, from her mum, Priya. Now, this, it's, it's, I think it's, and it's also even more tragically, um, Fanica is going to be turning four, um, this Saturday, tomorrow. And it's really the, the government, um, it should be, the federal government should actually be releasing this family immediately from Christmas Island and they should be settled into Australia. They should have never been deported and there's been a very long, ongoing sort of grassroots campaign, the Home to Biloela, um, um, campaign, which I think has been a very good campaign. And I think, you know, it, um, this needs to, I think we, um, there is going to be a rally, um, at this Saturday now that, um, restrictions, um, have eased. And it's going to be at, um, 1, um, 2 p.m. at the State Library this Saturday. And I think, and I think, um, just in terms of kind of restrictions, you have to be, um, to attend this rally, um, the organisers are recommending that you have to live within, um, 25 kilometres within, um, the state library. Um, that is because of the public health directive, um, as of the, as of, um, as of today that basically you can only travel within 25 kilometres of where you live. Um, 
and yeah, it will all be COVID safe, etc. They'll be advising people to be in groups of 10. And yes, I definitely, um, I think we need, I think it needs to have as big of a turnout as, as it possible to, you know, show our solidarity with this family and to kind of demand that this family being released immediately. Mm. To talk about some of the, I guess, some of the broader politics that have been, I guess, been happening around this um, particular case, um, it has, it is very good to see the ALP speak out in support of this family. But on the other hand, I think it is, you know, They're the a ALP. Big part of the reason that they're even in there. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair to say. Like we can, we can positively say, yes, it's a good thing that the ALP has spoken out, and, and it speaks to the strength of the grassroots campaign being able to put the pressure on the ALP. But I don't think it has anything to do with any sort of inherent goodness from the ALP because. On the onset, the ALP support mandatory detention. Um, they support the offshore detention kind of regime, and they've actually refused to actually change um, their their positions. In fact, I think in recent times, I feel their position on refugee rights has actually gotten worse. And um, I guess another intro, another kind of angle as well is um, the Liberal Party have basically been completely resistant resistant in a quite a despicable way about releasing this family. In fact, there was even a comment piece by a Liberal Party member, I think it was in the Australian or some right-wing kind of press, um, basically kind of making this argument, and this is the same kind of argument that gets pushed um, by the right who justify these abhorrent um, refugee policies, they basically argued that we can't release this family into the community because it sets such a terrible precedent that we'll have to release other refugees. Like, it's a slippery slope. But to be honest, it actually sounds like a very good slippery slope to me. Um, mm. There should be no such thing as mandatory detention. Um, offshore detention centres should be abolished and refugees who seek asylum here should be settled in the community and there should be no compromising on that question. Which is what used to happen for several decades um yeah is that yeah 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 i just think it shouldn't be that surprising that workers in the uh concentration camp at christmas island are racists like for anyone to agree to work explicitly at the christmas island you know torture camp you 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 got to be a bit racist to accept a job in there but it's just it's just so disgusting that for 10 days this little girl has had some sort of initial illness that has become pneumonia and then that pneumonia has then become untreated pneumonia and has developed into um, sepsis and throughout that entire period the the repulsive guards in that facility are going oh she'll be right stop complaining here have some panadol have some neurofen it's nothing stop being such a crybaby it's just disgusting the the layers of racism that this family have been subjected to like to be to be taken out of Biloela and put in that camp all by themselves this 90 million dollar facility is just so incredibly evil it's such a horrible thing to do to a group of people but to then be subjected to this on on top of it just the the layer upon layer of of horrible treatment and racism that this family has been subjected to it's uh yeah it's equal parts sickening depressing and infuriating and enraging
Definitely. And yes, um, just to repeat again for any of our listeners, um, there is going to be an action organised by Refugee Action Collective at 2pm this Saturday. There's also going to be another action... 2pm or 1pm? 2pm. 2pm at the State Library, as far as I know. Um, You can can double-check on the Refugee Action Collective um, Facebook page. Um, And I also will also note that there's also going to be another... um, There'll be a refugee rally also tonight as well at 5.30 outside the Park Hotel, which is part of the weekly protests that have been organised by campaign against racism and fascism. I think that rally will, um, that action will also be important to go to because I think there are still refugees who are languishing in detention mm. in the Park Hotel. And with two weeks of lockdown, um, they, I think they, um, no one has been able to do any sort of protests outside there apart from, I think some of the supporters have been doing sort of who live nearby have been kind of doing some exercise sort of runs around um, the hotel. But I think, yeah, it will definitely, for those refugees, um, it really does mean something to see people out there standing up for their rights. So, yeah, definitely totally. recommend. Um, and I mean, it's it's particularly abhorrent that this little girl, Sanika, is in this position, but it's no less evil to be doing this to adults. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening down there. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm just going to go play um, a quick announcement, and then we'll go on to um, one of the first um, disc- um, interview, um, more speeches that I'm going to play, um, pre-recorded speeches that I'm going to play for our program. You are listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR 855 AM. Free CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. All right, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio. And for the next part of the program, um, I'm going to be playing a recording of a talk um, from a public forum that was organised by Green Left and Socialist Alliance on Tuesday, um, Why Israel is an Apartheid State. And we're going to be... Um, I'm very happy to be able to play this recording of a talk because I think it's quite special. Um, this is a recording of a talk by Hader Eid, um, who is a Palestinian um, who is based on in Gaza. To tell you a bit about Hader Eid, he is an associate professor in the Department of English Literature at the Al-Qasa University in the Gaza Strip. He has written widely on the Arab-Israeli conflict, including articles published at Znet, Electronic Intifada, Palestinian Chronicle, and Open Democracy. And of course, he's also the author of books such as Countering the Palestinian Nakba, um, One State, um, One State for All. So yeah, hope, um, listeners, um, enjoy this. This is good. I think this talk, this talk will go, I think goes on for around 20 to 25 minutes. Um, and yeah, hope you, um, enjoy. And I think it's, um, yeah, it's a very good, um, speech. And, um, yeah, this is, um, I'll be, I'll be playing it, sh- um, shortly now. Let me start off by uh, thanking the organizers of this event for inviting me. Um, unfortunately, I have tried to be with you in real time, but um, you know the story with electricity in Gaza. Um, and let me start directly by um, addressing some of the questions 
um, you know, sent to me when I was, um, when, when I got the invitation. Um, and, you know, the first, uh, the first question was, you know, about the situation in Gaza uh, right now. Uh, you know, we know that Israel, um, and, you know, declared a unilateral ceasefire after pounding, uh, you know, the Palestinians of Gaza with airstrikes for 11 days. Um, and you know that this, um, you know, uh, war plunged the Gaza Strip even deeper into suffering already inflicted by a hermetic, and I would call it genocidal. Uh, I know how sensitive this word is, but I would call it genocidal. My friend Elan Pape calls the blockade, you know, an incremental genocide. Uh, when the, the, the siege was, um, uh, you know, declared in 2007, I remember Richard Falk wrote a piece titled prelude to genocide. So we are back to square one right now. Uh, you know, the hermetic siege imposed by apartheid Israel um, and the United States of America. I mean, without the support of the United States of America, you know, Israel wouldn't, you know, be able to impose this, um, this siege. Um, and there are political and military consequences. And the point is that there is an urgent need for activists such as yourselves, activists around the world, to take up the struggle against Israel's apartheid the same way they took the struggle against the inhumane apartheid system of South Africa until it crumbled in 1994 with the election of Nelson Mandela as the first black president of multiracial, multireligious, multicultural South Africa. And this is an indication of, uh, you know, the future that we are hoping to have in Palestine. I mean, very clearly, and I know Jif is there as well. I mean, we are members uh, of the um, one state campaign. You know, we are calling for, you know, a secular democratic state in the on the in the historic land of Palestine, because the reality on the ground here between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean is a one-state reality, controlled by apartheid Israel. You know, with us Palestinians, uh, you know, being oppressed by apartheid Israel, the same way, if not worse than the way the oppressed Africans of South Africa were treated and, you know, under uh, the, uh, the inhumane apartheid system. And these are not my words, by the way. I mean, I myself spent six, seven years in South Africa um, after the collapse of the apartheid system. But I have, you know, I have had all these discussions with anti-apartheid activists who decided to come and visit Palestine, you know, from, you know, Roni Kassar's to uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I mean, including Nelson Mandela himself, all said to me, and they wrote about it, by the way, that what we are witnessing in, uh, in Palestine is far worse than what they had to go through under the apartheid system. And um, so let me just take you uh, uh, back to the ceasefire, which was declared because simply Israel failed to achieve any of its objectives. Yes, destruction, yes. Uh, 
killed so many people, including 69 children, yes, more than 200 people, including 69 children, and, you know, 39 women, yes. Because Israel knows that it can carry out war crimes and crimes against humanity with full impunity. It did this in 2008-2009 for 22 days, bombarding Gaza with phosphorus bombs with internationally prohibited weapons. And, you know, it achieved absolutely nothing at that time. But the point is that the international community did absolutely nothing. And because the international community did absolutely nothing, apartheid Israel felt that it could come back, attack Gaza again in 2012 for a week, killing 200 people and then leaving Gaza. Just like that. And then the international community did absolutely nothing. And therefore, Israel felt that you know, with that kind of impunity, it can come back 2014 for 51 days, relentless attacks against the civilians of the Gaza Strip. I mean, look, I witnessed those, you know, four massacres, 2009, 2012, 2014, and 2021, and the Great March of Return. In 2014, for 51 days, they attacked with phosphorus bombs, you know, Navy, air, etc., land, killing um, more than 2,200 people, including 434 children. Just like that. Just like that. And every single person who died has a family, has a name, has a story to tell. Has a story to tell. And and this is why Israel can just attack and then declare a ceasefire. So the ceasefire was declared because Israel felt the, this, the point is that we had to show resistance. I mean, Michel Foucault said, well, wherever you have power, and I think Edward Said repeated it, you have resistance. And so Israel, yes, declared a ceasefire because, honestly, it failed to achieve any of its objectives, namely destroying our will to fight, our steadfastness, sumud, resistance in Gaza, and because, I mean, people keep asking me, why is Israel besieging Gaza? Why is Israel targeting Gaza? Because Gaza is a refugee camp. Two-thirds of Gazans are refugees entitled to their right of return in accordance with the United Nations Resolution 194. That's what happened in 1948, a process of ethnic cleansing Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians came to Gaza. Now we have eight refugee camps. The majority of Gazans are refugees. And therefore, they are a reminder of the original sin, the Nakba, the catastrophe that took place in 1948. And that is the essence of Israel's settler colonialism and apartheid, because one of the questions is about, you know, whether Israel is an apartheid, or an apartheid state or not. Human Rights Watch said it. B'Tselem, Israel's mainstream human rights organization, said it. United Nations Esquire report said it, that Israel is an apartheid state. And then three years ago, Israel 
you know, passed a law. There's El Knesset passed a law. The nation state basic law stating that Israel is a state of Jews only. So Israel is the state of Jews. And Benjamin Netanyahu said Israel is not the state of its citizens. So Israel, because of what happened in 2014, because the international community was, and I said remains, complicit. And when I say international community, I'm not talking about international civil society. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about conscientious people. I'm not talking about civil society. I'm talking about the official bodies of the international community. And again, um, last month in May, they decided to come because, well, they can do that. They can just come, attack Gaza, and leave. But this time, we showed more resistance. But before I come to that, I mean, we are, as I said, we are back to square one, and we will fight in order to change the status quo. And we are fighting to change the status quo. But we still have a 24-hour surveillance by Israeli drones. I can hear the drone right now as I'm speaking to you, um, flying overhead. Uh, we still we still hear the F-16s, American-made F-16s, Apache helicopters. And by the way, if I look outside my window here, um, you know, I can see the uh, the, the the gunship in the Mediterranean. Uh, and I don't know whether to call that, you know, commitment to ceasefire or not. What kind of ceasefire are we talking about? I mean, we have to go back to square one, you know, where, uh, you know, we do not have electricity. And this is why I cannot have this conversation in real time with you, where um, there's, a, you know, a long list of banned items. And if I start telling you what we have on that banned you know, items of the net. It's, it's, it's a joke. From chocolate to cigarettes to cows to pasta. It's a, I mean, let alone medicines and essential things. I mean, Dov Vazglav, the, uh, you know, the advisor to the late Israel Prime Minister, Ariel Sharon, he wanted to post, you know, to put us on diet. He wanted, you know, to... You know, to count, to measure the, the you know, the calories that uh, Israel would allow us to consume. I mean, to that extent, to that extent. But, you know, I mean, um, we decided, as I said, to resist. And, uh, you know, it, uh, enough is enough. Enough is enough. What we want... I mean, very simple thing. We issued a statement at the beginning of the latest massacre, as we usually do. Every single time there is a massacre, we issue statements. And the call is very clear. BDS, boycott divestment sanctions. We want you to boycott apartheid Israel the same way you boycotted the apartheid system of South Africa. It is an ob a moral, it is a moral obligation. And we want the international community to, di to divest from Israel and from companies, international companies, benefiting from Israel's multi-tiered system of oppression of the Palestinian people, occupation of the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, uh, settler colonialism, actually, um, apartheid and ethnic cleansing. And we want 
Security Council and United Nations to impose sanctions. I mean, in accordance with international law to impose sanctions. We want a military embargo. We want a military embargo to be imposed on, um, on apartheid Israel. And, you know, I mean, after and during the latest massacre, some serious questions have been raised. Um, and once again, of course, about, you know, the usefulness of resistance and whether, you know, the outcome of the latest war on Gaza can or cannot be considered a victory for the Palestinian people. And as, as I said, the same questions every single time Gaza or rather Israel attacks Palestinians, people raise the same questions even during the great march of return, because people kept still are talking about, you know, the price Palestinians have to pay, to pay. especially especially liberals. And once again, we are being challenged by, you know, those same neutral voices that keep talking about, you know, two sides of the story. I mean, the American president, uh, you know, uh, when Israel was slaughtering children, attacking residential towers, wiping out entire families, the American president said, you know, he supports Israel's right to self-defense. And what about our children? They don't even have that right, by the way. Uh, so still people, you know, liberal voices, Western governments are blaming the two sides of the conflict. I mean, there was no conflict in South Africa. There was no conflict in the American South under the Jim Crow laws. Things were black and white, were clear. This is a settler colonial system oppressing the indigenous population of Palestine. So you don't have, you know, two equal sides. You have colonizer and colonized. And every single time they say, you should stop resistance whether it is BDS because that is anti-Semitism or even launching, you know, firecrackers called rockets by the resistance movement in, um, in the Gaza Strip. But once again, um, we need to be clear. When you raise such questions, that means you accept Israel's narrative that there are two sides to the conflict, with equal military power and moral standing. And that is immoral. That is unfair. Now, people who raise these questions reject the reality that this is a Western-backed, settler, colonialist, and apartheid project implanted in the heart of the Middle East, which the Palestinian people are resisting. Um, the same voices also ignore all our moral weapons, that we are the natives of the land, that we have international law supporting our claims, including the claim to the land and our right of return and compensation, that we have the moral high ground, exactly like black South Africans like African-Americans living in the American South under the Jim Crow laws. And we increasingly have the support of international civil society, as you know by now, and others. And then, you, you know, um, 
people keep, you know, those liberal voices keep referring, you know, to Palestinian violence, especially in the latest confrontation, you know, last um, last month, month. And they refuse to see that the Palestinians are able to be agents of change in their present and future. Um, So those people who, you know, talk about the two equal sides and blame the victim, they, they are ideologically unable to acknowledge Palestinian agency because they refuse to respect the will of the people as expressed in the popular support um, you know, given to resistance, given to BDS, given to popular resistance in, in Sheikh Jarrah, in Lud, in Yatha, in Haifa, you know, resistance in its various forms. In, as I said, in Gaza, the West Bank, and in 1948. Uh, and I think, you know, it is important to um, you know, to understand that Gaza 2000, uh, or rather Gaza, what happened in Gaza last week, uh, I, th- I want to reach the conclusion that it is a victory, because for so many reasons, of course, because one, Israel, um, you know, failed to achieve any of its objectives, its, its objectives, but it also what happened is that we managed to destroy, you know, some of the myths created by apartheid Israel over the time uh, that, you know, Israel has the most moral army in the world, that it's iron dumb, for example, is invincible, that the Palestinians are, you know, just Arabs, not even Palestinians, that Arabs that have no common identity and would give up their claim to the land once the old generation, you know, dies out. Um, It is, and I think, you know, we have managed to prove that we are agents of change. Uh, Our BDS call is very clear. And honestly, being a BDS activist, I have always since the inception of the movement, believed that BDS, yes, it is a tool of struggle, tool of solidarity with the Palestinian people, but at the same time, it has managed to decolonize the Palestinian mind. It has managed to decolonize the Palestinian mind. And our victory last month has managed to solidify that idea that we all of us, whether in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, that is to say the areas occupied in 1967, or in 1948, or Palestinian refugees living in the diaspora, we are one people. I mean, since the the signing of the Oslo, the disastrous and catastrophic Oslo Accords in 1993, you know, our official leadership and apartheid Israel and America wanted to convince us that uh, Palestinians of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip are the Palestinian people. In, our, in other words, Oslo has managed to reduce the Palestinian people only to those who, uh, you know, living in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. But hey, with what happened in Jerusalem, 
in Gaza, in Lut, in Haifa. We are turning, you know, uh, turning the table over, upside down. And we are saying, no, let's go back to 1948 with the establishment of apartheid Israel, uh, not to 1967, when Israel decided to occupy the rest of Palestine, 22% of historic Palestine. And, um, and I think what happened is that we've managed to redefine the Palestinian people, to redefine the Palestinian people, and again, uh, bring back the three components of the Palestinian people to say, look, this is the Palestinian people. 12 to 14 million people living in historic Palestine and in the diaspora. So what do we want now? We know that Israel is going to come back. Yes, the answer came from Haifa, Lud, Jerusalem, Sheikh Jarrah. That is irreversible. That is irreversible. And this is why we need a program that represents the three components of the Palestinian people, 1967, 1948, and refugees living in the diaspora. And to my mind, the only solution, the only program that can represent the interests of the Palestinian people in its entirety is the one-state solution a secular democratic state, a state for all of its citizens, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of ethnicity, etc. And I honestly think it's a compromise. And it's a very generous compromise offered by the colonized to the colonizer. I mean, what is wrong, politically speaking, with the with the offer, with the generous offer given by the blacks of South, by Nelson Mandela to, uh, to the whites of South Africa. As much as I'm critical of the solution in South Africa in terms of the socio socioeconomic, you know, dimension, economic apartheid, etc., etc., but still, I mean, we want equality for all. Equality for all. Getting rid by getting rid of the privileges of the settlers, getting rid of Jewish supremacy, and establishing a new reality, a new space between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean to replace the colonial space created by apartheid Israel. And I honestly think that we Palestinians have begun to decolonize, as I said, our minds away from the facade of the two-state solution, the racist two-state solution, the peace industry. And with our sumud, we have managed to establish a new reality. And we have brought the arrogant Zionist regime in Palestine to its knees. Thank you again. Thank you so much for being patient with me. And um, again, I have to apologize for not being able um, to join you. Thank you.
All right. You were just listening to a recording of a talk by Hader Eid, um, straight from, um, um, direct from Gaza, who was, who did, who did this recording of a, of a spe- um, who recorded, um, this speech for a forum that took place on Tuesday while, why Israel is an apartheid, um, is an apartheid state that was organized by Green Left and Socialist Alliance on Tuesday, um, um, this, um, this, um, last, um, this Tuesday, um, well, last Tuesday, actually. Um, so yeah, we have, um, just a, I'll just go play, I guess, a quick um, announcement, and then we'll go in probably to maybe a quick news story, and then go into our first interview for the program. You are listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR 855 AM. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more problems. All right, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio, and I just wanted to go give a bit of a, I guess, a quick sort of news report. Um, this is from Green Left, and um, this is a news update from Green Left, um, based on an article um, by Jim McElroy, and this is just a report of an action that took place in Sydney, which I think is quite um, quite a good um, action that took place. Basically, um, we've had a bit of a discussion kind of recently around this whole question around um, patents, around um, the COVID kind of vaccine. And ahead of, um, basically ahead of the world kind of trade organization, um, meeting, which was basically due to kind of discuss a proposal to waive trade agreement obligations in relation to the COVID-19 vaccine, there was actually a protest organized outside the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade on June, um, 7th to hand over a petition supporting fair, fair access for vaccines for all. Um, this rally was supported by groups such as um, Australian Fair Trade and Investment Network, Amnesty International Australia, GetUp, New South Wales um, Nurses and Midwifery Association, Union Aid Abroad, Public Services International, and of course the, they had um, been part of collecting more than 50,000 signatures. And of course the um, the World Trade Organization said on June 7th, ahead of the June 8th to 9th meeting, that it had received um, the, a petition supporting fair access to vaccines signed by more than 2.7 million people globally. And, of course, um, countries such as United States, um, Russia and China have um, recently announced their support for a ship waiver for COVID-19 vaccines, um, joining over 100 other nations who had lay- earlier backed the concept. And um, to give a bit of um, a summary of, 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 of some of the some of the the um, the, the um, politics that was presented, its action, um, AFTINET convener Dr. Patricia Ronald explained that 
WTO rules for 20-year-old patent monopolies give control of vaccine um, vaccines and treatments to pharmaceutical companies, denying access for most people in lower-income countries until 2023. Millions will die while pharma companies make millions, um, she said. And, of course, the temporary waiver of uh, WTO rules um, will, um, will increase global production and inc- provide faster access for all. So yeah, you can read, I guess, a bit more about um, this um, this action on on Green Left. But yeah, that's a bit of the kind of summary. And I think it's good that there has been some grassroots organising um, around this um, issue. I remember kind of Zane kind of mentioning that there should probably be an action. At least an action has happened in Sydney. At least um, potentially maybe something should happen in Melbourne. But yeah, it depends on where it's going. I guess it's, it is a positive, I think, development that the United States, who was one of the biggest blocks to this, um, is now supporting it. Um, but yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, definitely a good, uh, good development. Anyway, we're getting, um, to our, fi- uh, we're getting, I'm just going to go play a quick announcement. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bomb supply on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favourite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR. And ahead of um, the Peruvian elections um, that are hap- um, that are kind of happening right now, I'm not sure about the kind of latest kind of updates, but um, right now there's a very kind of close result between a left-wing kind of challenger and um, and a, a, a far-right um, candidate. Um, now on the line we have Lenore Luna Zamora, um, who is a member of the Peruvian community um, based in Sydney. Um, she has been part of organising solidarity protests um, with Peru, um, especially in response to, I guess, a number of kind of political developments that have kind of happened in the past few years um, in Peru. Um, so yeah, good morning, Lenore. Uh, good morning. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, so to start off, um, can you give us, I guess, a bit of a, pl- a political background to the Peruvian elections that are kind of unfolding? Um, I guess, what are some of the issues that are at stake in this election? And I guess, w- just for, I guess, our listeners, I guess, what can you tell us, I guess, about the legacy, I guess, of Fujimorism, which I think is an important part of this election, and the implementation of neoliberalism within Peru? Okay. Um, yeah, the Fujimorism has um, has been an authoritarian dictatorship. Its legacy is corruption and lack of division of powers, violation against uh, human rights, lack of cooperation from the army to resolve the cases of the people disappear uh, during uh, their regime. Um, they eliminated our constitution. Uh, of um, 1979, and Fujimori um, 
state put a new constitution in 1993. Um, there was a coup of etat in April 1993. So, yes, yeah, they eliminated a constitution that was before that. So with that, um, they eliminated all the social rights that Peruvians had. Unionism was also eliminated. And there was also the lack of control of big corporations and big mining companies. They could do and they can do still whatever they want. All those companies were um, um, national companies, but they were privatized. And they were sold for peanuts to people close to the uh, Fujimori's regime. And I guess um, in the lead-up, I guess, to this um, election, um, there has been, I guess, a series, I guess, of kind of protests um, against corruption, and there was also a legislative kind of coup that was kind of undertaken by Peru's kind of centre kind of right um, popular action party. And I guess, what can you tell us about how this has kind of influenced the kind of current kind of election um, sort of campaigning? Well, we have been, um, during all these years, you know, um, Peru is a, um, it's, it's known by, um, because it is, there is a lot of corruption in Peru. So um, we are always trying to um, do the best for our people. But then um, the, the corruption is uh, in, within all the powers in Peru. I mean, it, it will be very difficult to, to eliminate that, but we need to work really, really, really hard. Um, in last year, uh, during uh, November, um, there were um, a lot of protests in Peru. We also uh, had a protest here um, in Sydney. And, um, you know, we are sick already, you know, of what is happening in our country. All these big parties are always lying to the people. They are doing things for their own sake, you know. They they want money, they want power, you know, and they are not doing anything for the people. And so we need that to change. You know, during all this um, COVID-19, a lot of uh, Peruvians have been dying. Um, more than um, the um, statistics says that it is around 200,000 people. We know that it is probably uh, triple of that. You know, and um, people don't have any social security or they don't have um, uh, any education, you know. So there are a lot of uh, lack of um, health and education and even work, you know, to so um, yeah, we, we need we need that to change. We, we need a, a better country. We, we just need that all these people in power, they stop uh, robbing our country, taking our natural resources. We need them to stop so that we will we'll, we'll get um, money. Um, we'll get the money to, to um, you know, to have for, for all these things that we need to improve there. And um, now going into, there has been one of the more interesting kind of things um, following this kind of election has there has been, I guess, a surge in popularity um, for leftist challenger um, Pedro Castello, um, who at this case, I not, and you can possibly inform me about the latest kind of results in this, but it does seem to be that he is very likely to win in a very close kind of race against Kiku um, Fujimoro. And I mm-hmm. guess, what can you tell us about him? And I guess, what is, I guess, the reason for his popular, uh, popularity, um, especially since he's 
um, from all reports, his popularity has appeared to have come out of nowhere. And in fact, no one sort of suspected he would be a front runner in this election um, coming to the start um, when, from the beginning. Yes, um, I for uh, during the first round of elections, I really, I really even didn't know about uh, Pedro Castillo. I mean, I didn't know him at all, and it was a, also a surprise for me, you know. Um, then later, I learned that um, he's a teacher. He's a primary school teacher. He's a farmer. He's um, a rondero. The rondero is a person who has been fighting against. Um, terrorism in Peru uh, against the uh, Shining Path, and he he's someone from from the pueblo, from El Pueblo. He's one of us. He he knows about um, all the difficulties that people who are um, forgotten, you know. So he's he's the essence of all of that. He he knows. Um, he's from a um, he he's from a from a, from a far um, away, um, you know, a uh, place where uh, people are forgotten, you know, there is not, um, it, it is difficult to get an education, you know, or, or even um, health around that, that those places that are very far away. So he knows what what are the needs of the people, the suffering of the people. And of course, he's, he, he has identified himself with everyone and um, the a majority of Peruvians can see themselves in, in him, you know, and uh, he's an honest person. And, and I can know that. I mean, I, I have been um, in one of, um, in one Zoom, um, you know, uh, meeting with him, and he, he was talking to, to some of the uh, Peruvians um, abroad, overseas, and I could see him, and I could feel that he's true, that he's telling us the truth, and I know that he's going to do a lot of a lot of um, good for Peru, and that he's going to do a lot for those um, who need the most. Hmm. And I guess um, I want to go into this um, into it so now, because um, I think when we before we sort of did this interview, we sort of spoke about it a bit on the on the phone, um, but I got into just hear a bit of comments about the kind of election kind of process because I've heard, I remember hearing um, when we were just talking on the phone we um, before this interview, you sort of mentioned that you've been kind of part of trying to protect the vote, like trying to basically being part of kind of organising um, voting for um, for the Peruvian kind of elections um, with Peruvians okay. who live um, within Australia. I just want to, um, what can you kind of tell us about about that sort of process and I guess what's even happening, what's happening in Peru regarding um, voting? Okay. Um, the uh, protests that I have been leading are against um, Keiko Fujimori. You know, um, one of my reasons is because um, the daughter of one of the victims of the uh, Fujimori regime, my mother was a social worker. She was also a mayor in Peru in one of the... Um, places where um, the Shining Path started, and my mother's name is Leonor Zamora Concha. Uh, she was uh, a very um, a very good human rights advocate. She fighted for human rights. She was the only one, the only authority in that place uh, called Ayacucho who was fighting, you know, um, against the violation of human rights. She was the only one who was denouncing um, what is what's happening there? Because um, the government, um, uh, through the military, 
were um, killing people, but also the Shining Path was killing innocent people as well. So my mother was um, denouncing all those things, you know, and the, all those atrocities. There were people who were tortured. Um, there were people who were disappeared. You know, she, she could uh, found, she did find um, mass graves, you know, and the, I could see from a very young age, from the age of 10, I could see a lot of people coming, mainly women, you know, crying and asking for the dear ones, for my mother's help to help them to find, to find their um, dear, their loved ones, you know. And and then uh, my mother um, taught me that we cannot uh, be indifferent to other people's suffering. So... That's what, uh, and, and my mother received many threats from the Shining Path and also from um, the military. My mother always said that she wasn't doing anything wrong, anything bad. You know, she was doing the best that she could do to help all these people. And my mother was also killed, you know, by the Fujimori regime. Um, Fujimori, um, in person, uh, congratulated all those people, you know, and they, because... They said that um, with my mother, it was um, the, the final thing that they needed to do, you know, to, to cling of red. That's how they call all the people who fight for social justice, you know, to, to clean the, the, the Peru from, from the red, from red, from the leftists, you know. So, um, so that, and for 29 years, because it happened on the 21st of December 1991, for 29 years, I've been um, trying to find justice for my mother. You know, I have the, the times that I have been to Peru, it, it has been because I needed to go to court or I needed to to have um to the uh, exhumation of her, um you know, of her and to for um doctors to. To, to see what really happened to, to her, you know. So um, every time I have been to Peru, it has been uh, a painful um, a, a painful travel, you know. And um, and from from the distance from where I am now, I I have tried to to fight justice not only for my mother but for the people that she fighted for, you know, for all of those people that are still disappeared from the years. 1998s, 1990s, you know, they, they are, I, we've got a lot of um, Peruvian people that are still disappear, and we need to find them. We need to find justice for them, and that's why I'm organizing all these things, you know, because I need to find them. I need justice for all of them, you know, for all of them. For those that my mother couldn't save, my mother could save some people, you know, but she couldn't save everyone. So I need justice for all of those, and and justice for all who are those who are still disappear because their bodies, their remains haven't been found, and we need that to have a closure. You know, their families are still suffering, and I know that it's 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 not easy. You know, you you just can move forward when you've got all of that in yourself. So. I, I experienced that with my mother, and, and uh, I really don't want that to happen again. And I know that Fujimori, uh, he committed crimes against humanity. Mm. You know, he, th- there were um, uh, also uh, the um, sterilization, forced sterilizations of women, which uh, this Keiko Fujimori says that all of th- that it was uh, family planning. How can you 
call for sterilization family planning, you know, mm. in, in what in what head? I mean, and, and she called those a crime against humanity. She said that those were errors. How come you call errors to that? I mm. mean, if, if we come to here, to, to Australia, and you say something to someone like that, I mean, you know, and, and she has been, um, uh, she's, what she has been fighting for is because um, the, um, the in Peru, uh, the people, the, the, the judges are asking for um, so that she goes to jail for 30 years. So she wants to win this election because she wants to avoid, um, you know, the um, the prison. That, that's, that's why she's doing that. And, and now that you are asking me about um, what is happening now, uh, we, I, I have been um, looking at every, every time at, at the news, and then I know that um, she has been uh, putting a lot of pressure. She doesn't want to concede that she lost. Mm. She's a really bad loser, a sore loser. You know, mm. and this is the, the third time that she's um, presenting. She's a candidate for uh, presidency, but the Peruvian people don't want her. We already told her that we don't want her. You know, and um, and she doesn't want to recognize that she's always because she has power. You know, she has uh, control in all the um, in the Congress, and she has control in every state of uh, you know um, of. Of um, um, the uh, how can I say this? All the uh, administration, you, 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 sorry. You, yeah. you um, maybe just to, just yeah. uh, just to stop there. Um, I think it's been really great the story you kind of gave us. I was scared to just go relate it to kind of the next question because I think you're going into sort of answering the kind of next kind of question. Um, because okay, I, um, okay. because um, yeah. Um, basically, um, given I guess these sort of anti-democratic sort of tendencies of um, Fujimoru. Um, what do you kind of, what do you think about the guess some of the, is there the possibility, just like it's sort of happened in Latin America in the past, um, if um, Castello is elected um, mm-hmm. and officially kind of sworn in, do, what do you mm-hmm. think about the kind of possibilities of some kind of anti-democratic coup that would be undertaken by those who are kind of already in power, which is the Fujimoro regime? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is very, um, it, it's probably probable that it, it can happen, you know, because um, she's moving everyone that um, it is with her. I mean, all the uh, people who have um, the elite in Peru, most of them are with uh, Fujimori, you know, and she she um, said that she is, she took our um our flag, you know, and she says that she is taking, she's uh, pro-democracy. So she she wants to be seen as as a democracy. She's fighting for democracy, and all people are saying, oh, yeah, democracy, we need uh, the Peruvian democracy and whatever. And then they are following that. But it is not that, because um, no one is looking at what has happened during... Um, uh, her father's government, and she was even the first lady, you know. Uh, we don't have to forget that uh, her mother was also tortured during that time, and she was very happy, the first lady, during that time, you know. Um, um, Susana Iguchi, who is um, Keiko Fujimori's mother, 
she is um, that that lady. I feel so sorry for that lady because she is very very sad now. I mean, she's a very she's a, a person who's really really sick now, and I feel for her, you know. And and it, I, I can't see, I can't understand how can a daughter can do that to her own mother, mm. you know. Um, she defended her father when she was at, at that time when she was interviewed. She defended her father, you know, and she um, threatened her mother at that time. And you could see there are videos and everything about it, you know. So, yeah, uh, we now we want, um, she she's trying to... Uh, She's, as I said, she's a sore loser. She's a bad loser. She doesn't want to recognize that um, El Pueblo, you know, the people in Peru have spoken with their votes. And we want a change. We don't want corruption. We don't want uh, crimes against humanity. We don't want any more um, sterilization, forced sterilization about our people, you know. We don't want more corruption in our judiciary system. You know, because, for example, uh, one of the examples that I could give you is that one of the uh, judges is called Inostrosa. He was getting money to to um, uh, let go free all those pedophiles, you know. And he was asking, oh, how old is this girl? And then, uh, and, and then he would say, okay, how much are you going to give me? What do you want me to do, to reduce their sentence or to let him go free? How can it happen? You know, I mean, yeah, and and they they protected uh, her team in the Congress, protected this type of people. You know, they the only thing that they want is money. The only thing want um is, is power, and and she's going to do uh, at that. And now at, at this moment, she was um uh she she didn't want to recognize um 802 um actas as, as we call it actas where there are more than 200,000 votes, you know. All those votes goes for uh, Pedro Castillo. Mm. But she knows that, yeah, and she is, um, she doesn't want to uh, recognize that. She's saying that there is fraud. Um, all the international and national uh, uh, observers, you know, have been saying that uh, those were clean elections, that, you know, and most, and, and uh, Pedro Castillo has already uh, uh, being um, congratulated uh, from other countries, from, for example, uh, Bolivia and some other uh, parties as well. Because, and as, and as I said, that I was part of uh, of um, of Pedro Castillo's. I'm not. I, I don't have any any parties. I don't. Uh, I have been like that for for most of my, my years. You know, no, I don't want to be. Uh, in any parties, because sometimes I have differences with with some things mm. that um, those parties um, uh, say, you know, with with whatever they they say. Yeah. They, um, just to uh, stop you there, because we're running a bit low on time, unfortunately, um, um, yeah. Lenore, uh, I think you've given a very, a very kind of good uh, kind of overview of kind of everything that's happening in Peru, and I've, we've really kind of appreciated um, as well you giving your kind of personal story. Um, but since we're running out of time um, for the interview, mm-hmm. I'd like to see, yeah. just want to conclude, do you have like any kind of final kind of comments you'd like to make? Um, yeah, and just, yeah, just to keep it brief, because, yeah, we've got to go into another part of the program at some okay. point. So, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, Pedro Castillo, you know, what he says is no more poor people in a rich country, and that's what I um and what that I I love, you know, from from him. And one of the things that I have been fighting for all uh, my years um, is uh, we need for justice, truth, memory, and dignity against oblivion and impunity. Fujimori never again. We don't want them in our country. Never again. I hope this is the last time that uh, one of the Fujimoris are going to be because we need justice and we need dignity. You know, I voted with memory and dignity. Thank yeah. you very much. Well, thank you very much, and Lenore. And um, yeah, um, all the I think solidarity with. Um, I guess we we want to give all the solidarity um, to what's happening in um, Peru, um, just like you've been um, doing um, all the way from um, from Sydney. Um, to your home country, and yeah, we definitely will. Um, we'll definitely be covering this um, in the and in in our program um, for future programs as well. And so, yeah, thank you very much for being on our program. Thank you very much for your solidarity. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Lenore. All right. Okay, so we'll just um, entering um, Lenore um, Luna, um, who is a Peruvian um, based in um, Sydney, um, who's actually also been organising a number of kind of solidarity kind of protests with Peru, and we just were just having a bit of a discussion um, with her about the the, um, the Peruvian elections, and she also had um, gave the opportunity to give a bit of her personal story as well, um, it's, which was also um, important. Um, so yeah, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and I'll just go play, um, I guess, a quick announcement, and we'll go into the next part of our program. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and now it is time for the Green Left Activist Calendar. Now, a lot of things have kind of shifted and changed um, since... Um, because of the, because of the kind of COVID lockdown. So I'm going to be trying my best to give as much updated dates on events that are kind of happening. Now, the first event I kind of just want to promote, um, just from the beginning of the program, we were talking about it. Um, there's going to be a refugee protest organized by Campaign Against Racism and Fascism at 5.30 p.m. at, outside the Park Hotel today. Um, and that will be, that will, I think, will again be an important sort of action. It's going to be the first sort of protest outside the Park Hotel since, um, since lockdown ended. And of course, refugees, they are still refugees languishing in the detention. Tomorrow, there's going to be, um, a snap, um, rally. Compassion, not detention. Free Fanaka, um, and, uh, the, um, the Bilia family. And that's going to be happening at, um, tomorrow at 2 p.m. at the, at the State Library. On Sunday, 7 p.m., um, there's going to be, um, there's going to be an online event with Free Palestine Melbourne. So that's on Sunday, 7 p.m. It's a conversation, online conversation with, 
Tofik um, Haddad, um, who is a Palestinian-American writer and um, activist and academic resident of the Sheikha Jarrah neighborhood of East um, um, Jerusalem, which has become the front line of, of resistance um, and again of, um, of struggle against the um, resistance uh, or of the resistance against the um, or against the Israeli occupation. Um, so that's going to be happening. Um, that's going to be streamed live on Facebook. So if you look on Free Palestine Melbourne event, you can get it. But it's also going to be um, um, accessible by via Zoom as well. So yeah, I'll definitely recommend um, going to that. Now this is another event that I'm not sure whether um, it's. It seems to be being clear. So next this Friday we'll give um, next Friday we'll give an update if anything has sort of changed. But on Sunday, June the twentieth, there's a rally for um, for refugee rights, um, permanent visas, not discrimination, and that's going to be happening on Sunday, June the twentieth at two p.m. at the at the state library. But um, as I kind of said, it does depend on whether the rally. I'm, I'm, I, I'm as far as I know, the rally is going ahead, but the details could change because of the the current sort of um, COVID nineteen restrictions at this stage. Um, then now the next kind of event I want to highlight is the next um, Palestine rally, um, which is going to be happening on July um, the third. At um, 1 p.m. Um, at the State Library, um, this um, this is going to be the next um, big sort of pal- um, Palestine rally. So I definitely kind of recommend um, that uh, listeners get along to it. I think it's going to be, I guess, uh, it's going to be a very kind of important rally. Um, and now, and also just some other things to kind of note: um, FreeCR's annual radiothon is um, happening now. So. Yeah, we definitely w- want to recommend to our listeners to donate to our program. We're going to be having our special Radiophon show next Friday. Um, so definitely, um, recommend, um, yeah, donating. And now the other, some other events I just want to kind of note, um, that I think are coming up is there's going to be, let me just quickly, sh- um, there's going to be a rally, um, on sad, uh, a local rally at, um, Saturday, July the 3rd, um, say Faulkner's Outdoor Pools, um, which is at 10 a.m. outside Faulkner Leisure Centre, 79 to 83 Dukes Road. Um, the context for this, um, rally is the Moreland Council is, go- is going to be cutting, um, Faulkner's Outdoor, um, pool and, I think replacing it with a leisure centre, and I think that has been sort of a common trend with a lot of kind of local councils, like basically privatising um, open sort of public um, public sort of pools, and then basically transitioning them to um, leisure centres, which I think the community has responded, and they basically have argued that this is not this is not a good thing, and that they're campaigning to save Faulkner's kind of outdoor pool. And then the last kind of event um, to note, um, there's going to be a film screening, um, My Survival as an Aboriginal, at 2pm at the Formbury Picture House, 802 High Street in Formbury. Anyway, I think that's um, it for the activist calendar. I'll just go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. 3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to more at 3CR Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Testami una ila ila 3CR Community Radio araja al ishtrakal an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanali 3CR ay kertu kondirikandirikal. Inre nayingal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Netsuketsek Radio y Gayaranin, Boretanguda Melbumi Hai Kaotin, Hima Artsanakrevetsek y Pertriciari Antam. 
Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio. It is 8.15 a.m., um, so we have around 15 minutes left on our program. And so I was going to get Zane want to kind of start off a bit of a news kind of item and a bit of a, start of kind of a bit of a kind of discussion. Yeah, so uh, just over the last week, there has been uh, some discussion on progressive circles uh, a bit of a side story related to all of the Palestine solidarity actions that have been happening. Uh, the Victorian Greens have confirmed that the Victorian Greens leader, Sam Ratnam, is to speak at a sort of political training forum uh, that's being organised by the Australian Union of Jewish Students, or the Australasian Union of Jewish Students, as it's now known. Um the problem is the Australasian Union of Jewish Students is and always has been a very openly and vocally Zionist organisation. Um, the worldview of AUJS is that um, basically all Jewish people support the Israeli state's um, military uh, Occupation and expansion further and further into Palestine, the dispossession of Palestinian people, uh, and it's anti-Semitic to question or oppose Israel. Uh, back on the 23rd of May, as the smoke was still clearing in Gaza and as bodies were still being pulled out of the rubble, the um, Australasian Union of Jewish Students was one of um, the key groups that organised a rally in Melbourne in support of Israel with much waving of Israeli flags. And it is in this context that Sam Ratnam, as well as speakers from the Liberal Party and the Labor Party, uh, have been confirmed to speak at this upcoming political training kind of summit or function by AUJS. I find this, to say it's disappointing is, is, um, uh, doesn't capture it. It's, it's, it's really terrible that, that I think that the Vic Greens and that Sam Ratnam is speaking at this. I, I grew up in Newcastle and the relationship of, of socialists and left-wing activists in Newcastle to the Greens is frankly very different to what it is here in, in Melbourne in my experience, and I would say a lot healthier. Um, a few years ago when there was protests against Reclaim Australia, the Newcastle branch of the Greens were very actively involved in anti-fascist organising there. Uh, contrast that to down here, you go to a, a group like CAF, Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, the Greens don't really send activists. You don't see people wearing their Greens hat coming to these meetings. Sure, you will see Greens at an anti-racist rally, but you, you, it's just a fact. You don't see heaps of green triangles. It's very different up in New South Wales. The Greens are much more involved in anti-racist, anti-fascist activism and organising on the ground, in my experience. I'm not saying there are zero Greens involved down here. It's just a very noticeable difference up in New South Wales. On the question of Palestine... 
Lee Rhiannon has long been a, a um, voice of, of solidarity with Palestine. Um, I think it was Balmain or, or Leichhardt Council probably five, six years ago. They had a motion trying to get the council to support BDS. Um, at the recent Palestine Solidarity Rally, um, the New South Wales Senator to the Federal Parliament, Maureen Faruqi, spoke um, in support of Palestine. So there is a substantial section of the Greens who I believe have, uh, you know, grassroots Green activists and parliamentary members who have engaged in genuine Palestine solidarity work and it really undermines their work for the Victorian branch of the Greens to be sending not just a speaker, but the leader of the Victorian Greens, Sam Ratnam, to speak at this uh, forum being put on by a Zionist organisation. Um, in some online discussion, people have said, yeah, but there's still, you know, anti-Semitism in the community and so on. Sure, that is absolutely the case, and it is unacceptable. Anti-Semitism is unacceptable. But there are other ways to engage with the Jewish community than with a Zionist group. There's the Australian Jewish Democratic Society, which has a progressive approach to the question of Palestine and, and issued a statement against the latest bombing of Gaza. There's Jews Against Fascism, who's been involved in anti-fascist act activism and that that's really if you want to combat contemporary anti-semitism in australia get involved in anti-fascist organizing because that's who's doing it it's neo-nazis it's not palestine solidarity activists who are behind anti-semitism in australia it's neo-nazis so yeah i guess i just wanted to voice that this is there's a real shift in consciousness globally that's happening right now around the question of palestine there's been massive rallies. The rally that happened before the lockdown in Melbourne is the, bi the biggest Palestine solidarity act, um, action that we've seen in Melbourne. It was huge. And now is a really important time for all progressives to be really uniting and supporting the Palestinian cause because they can't do it on their own. It's international solidarity and support is so important for the Palestine, the Palestinian people who have struggled so long since the Nakba. Um, Palestinian people uh, live under an apartheid system. They do not get to vote in the... They, they don't have a say over the government that controls their lives, which is the Israeli government. People from Gaza and the West Bank, There's there's been a lot of discussion and forums lately of a one-state solution where people in the West Bank and Gaza who are effectively controlled by the Israeli government should be able to vote in that government. They should be able to participate in elections. There should be a, a one-state solution, Palestine, Israel, one government. Everyone gets a vote. Everyone gets a say. Not the current apartheid system where Palestinians are locked out of having a say over the government that controls their lives in quite a horrible way. So, yeah, solidarity is so important right now. Speaking at a Zionist event is not solidarity and it, it undermines and it cheapens and it takes away from those many green activists who have, um, you know, over the years and even today have taken a stand in support of the Palestinian people. 
Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a good kind of summary, I think, of, and I think, yeah, it is, I think it is disappointing that Samantha Ratnam, as a leader of the Greens, is speaking at the event, because I think it is completely contrary to kind of like the Greens kind of position. I think we have to acknowledge that the Greens do have, um, you know, they're not, not a perfect position, but they have, out of the mainstream sort of parties, they definitely have some of the, one of the best, the best position on Palestine, especially compared to, uh, the Labour Party. And of course, we're not even getting really Greater mention of the Liberal Party. We know where the Liberal Party just has a terrible position all around, mm. and they've ne- they will never they've ne- they're not they're not a party that's likely to ever support Palestine because it's not in it's not inherent in their politics. So I think, but I think for the Greens though, on the other hand, the Greens because they are actually in some sense a left wing party. I definitely want to sort of you know for if there's any Greens members who are listening um, to this program um, who support Palestine, we definitely want to sort of encourage you to actually put the pressure on the Greens and even putting pressure on Samantha Ratnam for speaking at this event. Um, Because I think, yeah, I definitely think we all the left-wing Greens activists um, who support Palestine should definitely put some pressure because I think the Greens do, to their credit, actually have a reasonable position in Palestine. As I said, it's not a perfect position, but it's still much better than any of the kind of other kind of mainstream kind of parties. Yeah, and I think the structure of the Greens is this federal thing where the state branches kind of operate autonomously from the federal party. That's a real problem in a situation like this. I don't think if a state branch of the Greens came out and said, oh, we support nuclear power as a you know, low emission source of energy... I don't think the other Greens branches would be like, oh, yeah, that's up to them. It's the state branch. They can do what they want. If the Greens are serious on the question of solidarity with Palestine, I think they really need to call the Victorian branch into um, into line on this because it's just... <laughs> how, can, how can the Palestinian community take the Greens seriously if they... As a, as a voice of solidarity, if they don't keep their own house in order, if they don't call the Victorian branch into line, I just... Anyway, we... we if, if the Victorian Greens want to have right of reply, the, the 3CR policy is, is to have right of reply they, if they want to explain their position on this. But I, I, I've worked alongside a lot of Greens activists over the years. I respect them. I'm, I'm, I'm not someone who just wants to you know, dump on the greens for no reason. But I really think this is not cool, what's what's happening. All right. Well, um I just wanted to um just wanna um I just want to give a just one quick sort of new update. There's just one sort of event I sort of forgot to kind of highlight. Um and this just relates to a kind of current news story which we won't really have time to really go into because we only have a few we only have a form uh, a few minutes left on our program. But there is um actually there's looking like there is going to be a kind of national day of action against um um t- no war with China organized by the independent and peaceful um Australian network. And it's due, scheduled to be on um, Sunday, July the 4th. And right now there is going to be a protest in Sydney at this stage on at 2pm Sunday, 4th of July at the Town Hall. Um, it's possible there's going to be a rally organised in Melbourne. Um, but yeah, they have called this a sort of national kind of day of action. So it's possible that there will be actions kind of popping up. And um, that will be, I think, a day after the Palestine rally on July the 3rd, if it does take place in Melbourne. And yeah, definitely want to give it updates, and especially since there has been comments from Peter Dutton about increasing military presence within the Northern Territory or within that sort of 
area um, in the context of this sort of potential war um, with China. And I think, you know, as socialists and progressives and any left-wing kind of person, regardless of anyone's sort of views on the Chinese state, um, we have to we have to be on the forefront of opposing any kind of imperialist war um, against China or um, and any sort of drumming up of war um, by the Australian government and the Australian state. So, yeah, definitely um, keep that um, that keep on the lookout for any sort of anti-war kind of actions on that time. And yeah, and I think we definitely want to make them as big as possible to kind of raise the anti um, to build the anti-war movement. Anyway, um, that's um. Getting to the end of our program, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in this week. Um, the Radiophon is going to be next um, Friday. Um, you can call, um, you can donate online to FreeCR right now at freecr.org.au, or you can even call nine four one nine eight three seven seven. But yep, yeah, you're listening to Green Left Radio. Um, me and um, myself and Zane would like to thank all our list, um, thank all our listeners, and yeah, sh- stay tuned for next week. And we'll see you at the rally tomorrow, home to Billowilla. Right. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-2006. Arise you workers from your slumbers, arise you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Khan. Away with all your superstitions, serve all masses, arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back, reds underneath.